name is John, and I have the privilege of being the local outreach lead here at Crossroads. What that simply means is I get to be kind of a bridge between our church and our community, whether that's uh, helping folks go down to serve at a nonprofit or listening to our community and taking that information back, uh, just get to kind of be that bridge, and it's a real privilege to be with you today. Now, before we uh, move on today, uh, we're going to pause just a second and pray, because uh, I think your news feeds, just like mine, are probably uh, pretty full right now of some stuff going on in the Ukraine. And before this week, I didn't realize, but Crossroads, about in 1996, helped launch a church in Kharkov, Ukraine, Christian Life Christian Church. Pastors Kolya and Jenya. And if your newsfeed looked anything like mine this morning, uh, you were seeing that uh, Russian forces had just entered Kolkov. We've learned uh, from connection uh, through some of our folks, the Lingis who used to live in Kharkov, that right now there's somewhere between 75 and 100 people who are sheltering within this church maybe up to about 200 total with the church folks in it. And just, just take a pause for just a second and think about what it would be like to be in probably a church a little bit smaller than this with 300 strangers as tanks are rolling down the street. I don't know about you, but that would scare me a little bit. Now, the Ukrainian church is strong. They've had to undergo this for a long time. We're going to pause today and pray for them. Would you join me? God, we know that you are a God of peace. You're the God of justice, and this doesn't feel very just, God. So, Lord, we pray that you act on behalf of the Ukrainian people, of this church, that you keep it safe. And Lord, somehow through this mess that your name get glorified and that people come and see you as the safety in a very chaotic world. And Lord, I ask for hearts in in whoever's saying yes to this war, that their heart would be changed. And Lord, that uh, these systems that are not working for the benefit of the Ukrainian people would be abolished that the spirit of empire would be taken down for the glory of your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. As you can see, uh, our service can be a little bit different today. Normally, I wouldn't jump up here after the first song. Normally, I wouldn't jump up here, period. Uh, The Kellers, the the Hellers uh, send their best. Uh, They are still mourning the loss, Phil and his family, of his dad, and uh, we'll be kind of coming back this week, I believe. Now, uh, this, what I've heard through this series is uh, some questions that a lot of folks have, and that one main one is like, why in the world are we staying on one passage, right? What is it about this parable of the Good Samaritan that we need to spend four weeks on? And let me just share with you a little bit of an illustration about a Maybe a logic for this. So we kind of looked at this series, kind of like a jeweler looks at a diamond. So you kind of pick up the ring and you put one of those little squinty things on, 
You know, the kind like in the heist movies that all the bad guys have that kind of does this and they look at the jewel gem and they kind of just rotate it just a little bit ever so slightly so that they can see inside that and so that every facet stands out beautiful in its own right. And that's kind of what we've been doing. We've been slowly making our way in a microscopic way around the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And today we're going to take one final gaze into another facet of the Good Samaritan and then let the beauty of this story and the Holy Spirit work on us through the stories of some of our people. And we're going to have some prayer times interspersed in that and some music as well. Now, uh, as one final refresher for our story, uh, we're going to read this passage together from the message translation. Now, in the spirit of also kind of keeping things new and fresh, uh, if you wouldn't mind standing up today, if you're able, and we are going to read this passage together. I'm going to read one section of it, and then you're going to read, we're going to alternate. If you've been around church for a minute, uh, like I have, they call this a responsive reading, but uh, we're going to try it out today. So I'm going to read the white section. Just then, a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? Would you read this together? The religion scholar said that you love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence, and that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Looking for a loophole, he asked, and just how would you define neighbor? Jesus answered by telling a story. There was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on the way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. The one who treated him kindly, the religious scholar responded. And Jesus said, go and do the same. Let me be seated. Thank you for participating. Today, we're going to just try to keep it simple, right? We're going to look at basically two words, one that is used in this passage, is kind of the key word of this passage, and that is neighbor. And we're going to look at another word that you would think would be conjoined to that word, and that is the word hospitality. Uh, Now, in the original language of the New Testament, which was Greek, the original word for... uh, Neighbor is plesion. It's used 17 times in the New Testament, and most of those times it's used while quoting this very phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. Plesion simply means near person. 
which makes a lot of sense to us. So if you went out and you talked to someone next to you in line or in the cubicle next to you, and you asked them the question, hey, what's a neighbor? They would probably look at you with a little bit of a dumbfounded look on their face and say, it's a, it's a, it's a neighbor. Like, it's the person who lives next door to you. You know, are you, are you feeling okay? Which is exactly what the lawyer was pushing on a little bit in this story. Uh, he knew that the Hebrew Old Testament included neighbor in a little bit broader context to include not just who lives next to you, but to also include the marginalized and the vulnerable around you. But the most logical and intuitive understanding of what it meant to be a neighbor was exactly what that word meant in their language, and that was just simply near one. So, was the lawyer right? Well, let's, let's look at a different word here. So if the case for neighbor is near one, and you'd think that hospitality would revolve around some of those kind of things, right? It would intuitively be connected to the neighbor. I mean, most of the time we are hospitable to people who are naturally near us. We show hospitality, we're literally, literally neighboring. But when we look deeper into the original word for hospitality in the New Testament, it paints a radically different picture. See, the word for hospitality in Greek is philonexia. It's a compound word made up of two words, philo, which means friendship love, and xenos, which means stranger. So you may have heard the word Philadelphia before, especially if you're a sports fan. Philadelphia is a city of brotherly love. Well, that's where that kind of came from. And if you've ever heard of the word xenophobia, that's a fear of strangers. That's those two words that kind of have moved apart in our language. But literally, the definition of hospitality in the New Testament is extending friendship love to a stranger. Now, lest we think I'm doing any linguistic gymnastics, let's consider a verse in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. There's our word. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. I don't think there's anything vague about this passage, is there? It shows hospitality alongside loving one another with prisoners and with those who have been mistreated. We're to love all the same. This picture is very consistent with Jesus' vision of the Good Samaritan. Now, there's a dynamic at work in these two words, neighbor and hospitality. If neighbor is near one and hospitality is friendship love for strangers, then how do they go together? Well, they go together when we show hospitality. We actually come alongside. We friend love to folks who are new or different to us. When we do that, it's kind of like our relationship status changes from stranger to neighbor. They no longer, whoever that stranger is, stay dangerous or intimidating or whatever we put on them. They become us. The two eyes become we. This is the transformative dynamic of hospitality, according to the Bible. It transforms strangers into neighbors and expands our hearts and viewpoints in the process. 
This kind of hospitality can happen in our homes around a meal, but it can also be done anywhere. Through the Good Samaritan story, Jesus elevated the idea of neighbor from a noun to a verb. So too, this radically inclusive friendship of hospitality expands our vision well beyond the walls of our home into other parts of the city and with anyone we come across. And one final challenge before we move on. Uh, let's look quick, uh, real quick at verse 36 of Luke chapter 10. It's Jesus' final question to the lawyer. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? That word was uh, is a little bit more complicated than we would think in our language. So let me share it with you. Uh, there's more to this than what appears to the eye. This word is better translated uh, to become or to be proved to be. This word signifies a change of condition, state, or place. We're not born hospitable and neighborly. We don't intuitively know how to do this. But through the power of Jesus' love moving us beyond ourselves, we too can become a neighbor, even to folks who are strangers. Now, for the remainder of our service, we're going to move between the vertical and the horizontal. Our worship team will lead us in a couple more songs, and uh, some of us are going to be sharing personal stories. And after those stories, we're going to have a pause and, and, and a prayer prompt. And during that, we're going to give opportunity for all of us to respond in personal prayer. Now, as we do this, and as these folks come forward, I pray that you would open your hearts to them. And let me let you in on a secret. They are super nervous. They, I like had to beg some of them to come do this today. So let's give them all grace. They're going to read these things. Uh, and that's just simply because that's what they wanted to do. It's their words. But as they share their stories about how God has changed sometimes them, their strangers into neighbors, let's open our hearts up to see what God has to say to us. Would you come forward, Patty? Hello, my name is Patty Lehay. Seven years ago, I was going through a hard time in my life. I was encouraged to not focus on me, but focus on others. At that time, Chris Fleming had been appointed the executive director of Potter's Wheel. She invited me to come to one of the tours that they were having at the Potter's Wheel. I wasn't sure. I was going to a place that made me feel uncomfortable. And the people there, and the people that came there looked different than me. It was, it was in a part of the city that I had grown up to being afraid of, which is very true. The passage where God invited Peter to get out of the boat and walk on the water kept coming up in my mind. I did get up the courage to finally go. God started to open my heart to who these people really are. They're his people. Fast forward to today, I am at Potter's Will several times a week, loving on all who enter the building. I do not feel uncomfortable anymore. In fact, many of them I call my friends. The kids are like my grandkids. I just know all they want is for you to listen to them and to show them you care. I would never have thought seven years ago that I would be a regular volunteer at a nonprofit on the south side of Evansville. I would not have believed it. But God knew, and sometimes 
We just have to get out of the boat in faith and go. The Samaritan was walking in the heart of the Jewish territory. Let's pray for courage to venture where you are not comfortable being. Father, thank you for putting opportunities in our path to love on people like you would. Give us the courage to get out of the boat and love them, even if it feels uncomfortable. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, my name is Macy Yelton, and I've been attending Crossroads since about 1993. About seven years ago, just like Patty, my family moved from a quiet neighborhood to an area near downtown Henderson. It had been my routine to walk my dogs each day. When we moved to our new neighborhood, I continued my daily practice, but noticed many differences between the two neighborhoods. At first, I really struggled with some of these differences, but over time, I began to encounter people on a regular basis who were different from me. I would frequently see a man who lived in an apartment near my home. We would greet one another. Then he began to ask me to pray for him. Now, almost every time I see him, he has a story to tell me, and he asked me to pray for very specific things. Sometimes I feel like I don't have time for a conversation, but God always blesses me with these holy interruptions. In fact, when I don't see him for a few days, I miss our visits. God has used these holy interruptions to give me more compassion for people. I'm so thankful for the work that God has been doing in my life since I started taking the time to interact with my neighbors. The Samaritan stopped what he was doing and got involved in the life of his neighbor. Let's pray for the flexibility to embrace holy interruptions. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love every person that you've ever created. Please work in our hearts so that we take time to interact with people we encounter each day. Please help us to recognize the holy interruptions that you have planned for us. May we live and love like you more each day. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, Crossroads shared a book called The Art of Neighboring. During services one weekend, they gave us a card that had nine squares. The center of that card had our home, and the exercise or the part of the nine square piece was to learn the names of our neighbors that were 
all around us. I put that card on my refrigerator and I felt pretty confident because I thought this wasn't going to be a really hard exercise for us. Like I knew a lot of my neighbors. There was, however, one square that did not have a name filled in. See, it was the house that always had the police cars there. It had uh, activity, people coming and going at all hours of the night. So that home somewhat seemed like a lost cause. That would just be one square that wouldn't be filled in. A few years went by and a young man moved into that home across the street. One afternoon, I noticed that my new neighbor was in his driveway. So I thought this would be the perfect time to go and get our mail. I got my mail and I turned around and caught his eye. I waved and said hello. About that time, I noticed that he was walking toward me. So I turned to walk toward him and I was thinking, oh my, what have I gotten myself into here? Like, what am I gonna say next? I noticed that he had a uh, monitoring device on his ankle. So if you know me, you know that I ask a lot of questions. So popped right out of my mouth with, hey, I see you have an ankle bracelet on. How far does that let you go? And he looked down and he said, about that far. And he pointed to a line in the middle of the street. Now this line is one that I had never noticed before, but suddenly it became really important to me. About that time, my husband came down the driveway, probably wondering what was I doing, came down the driveway and I was able to introduce him to our neighbor. Uh, we spent a little time then together and um, learned that he had just been uh, released from jail and that he and his girlfriend had moved into the home and that they were considering this their second chance. Well, over the course of the next couple of years, my husband Tom and our neighbor spent many afternoons there on that line in the middle of the street. Well, that place became a place where our other neighbors started gathering too. So um, that friendship began to grow between um, our new neighbor and all of the neighbors in our cul-de-sac. After some time had passed, I got a phone call from Tom at work and he said, um, you need to come home. Something has happened in the neighborhood. So I drove home and pulled into our neighborhood and again saw police cars and activity, all kinds of people around the home. I noticed that a coroner's vehicle had pulled up on the side of the house. So it wasn't long of looking out the front door that I noticed that my neighbor's girlfriend had walked out the back door and over into the side yard. I ran across my yard, across that line in the street, up into her yard, and I was face to face with her. And she said to me, she said, he's gone. And I grabbed her and I hugged her and I held her close to me. And I told her, I said, you're not alone. We're here. I said, God is here with us. And she nearly melted into my arms and started crying. And finally, she asked if we could sit down and we sat at a little set of table and chairs in her side yard. Over the next few days, um, I noticed that the garage door was shut 
and our neighborhood was oddly silent for a few days. And the neighbors would tell me, they would say, we miss him. And the neighborhood isn't the same without him. It really, it really changed our neighborhood, getting to know someone that was different than us. The barriers of fear and misunderstanding and all those things were gone because we got to meet him. We got to learn about his life. And I feel like people are just longing for understanding and a connection with others. And that connection was for us personally, for our neighbors, and for our neighbor. Dali's experience with her neighbor is a powerful example for us. Like the Samaritan, Darla saw her wounded neighbor. It's so easy to miss folks as we move around the city, even those who live right next door. Let's pray for personal awareness as we move around town. God, please train our sight. Help us to see what's happening around us through your eyes and to see everyone as precious to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, my name is Deidre Everett. When I started going to Dearborn, Michigan, I didn't go to engage with anyone but went to support my daughter in our youth ministry. I would say that I casually engaged with the Muslim people that I would encounter. In hindsight, I can see where God was at work in those relationships, but if I'm being honest, I didn't go out of my way for any of them. Then the focus of our short-term trips changed, and I started seeing the people, particularly the ladies, with a new set of eyes. In 2009, I met my friend Sahar, an immigrant from Yemen, wife, and mama five. We instantly connected during a spa day where we wanted to pamper and love on the ladies in a way that we didn't know if they had experienced before. We set up different stations throughout the building, and we would read them scripture as we were introducing them to about, uh, introducing them to what was about to happen. I was at the foot soak station. I remember vividly as Sahar came in wearing her olive green abaya and sat down in front of me. She was giggling, kind of hiding her face, a little bit embarrassed, and um, that all stopped when I started slipping off her socks and moving her feet into the basin. It went from a giggle to shame, and I looked up at her as she was saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and I said, it's okay, you're beautiful. As I was washing her feet, my heart changed. It was an incredibly humbling moment and the start of a deep love and friendship. At the end of the day, I was asked to come back a month later for her oldest daughter's wedding. 
Over the last 13 years, I've traveled there many times to attend family weddings or celebrate special occasions with her and her family. I've rejoiced with her at the birth of her sixth child and four grandchildren. I've cried with her after her daughter miscarried twins. I FaceTimed with her elderly mom in Yemen, and I've shared Jesus stories with Sahar and her daughters. I've taken her and her family on a hunt for a hot water heater 9.30 at night after the massive flooding in 2021, and I've sat silently in prayer for hours in a house full of women who were only speaking Arabic. I had asked God to change my heart for what broke his, and he answered that prayer. The Samaritan had compassion on his wounded neighbor. Let's pray for a merciful heart that animates action. Lord Jesus, give us your eyes to see beyond the surface of others. Give us your heart, a heart so filled with compassion that we are compelled to leave our normal, to leave our comfort zone and invest in their lives. Not for our recognition, but for your name, King Jesus, so that it is glorified by every nation, tribe, people, and language. And I pray this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Hello. My name is Octavius Dotson. I'm 46 years old and was born in Louisville, Kentucky, to my mother who was 18. I was her fourth child of a total of eight. My childhood was definitely considered rough. I grew up in the low-income housing projects in Louisville and experienced many a night with my siblings, no one over eight years old being hungry, scared, and alone, with no adult supervision for days, weeks, or sometimes months. Because of physical abuse and willful neglect, social services eventually became involved, and all of us ended up being put in foster homes or state facilities. Over the years, my mother regained custody over most of her kids, However, she never regained custody of me. I continued to bounce around foster families and facilities. As the years went by, I became overwhelmed with the feelings of despair, dejection, and rejection. I felt I was not wanted by my biological parents. After being told numerous times from social workers that because of how old that I was, I was more than likely to not become adopted. I felt like giving up on life. On the many days when my foster brothers and sisters were adopted, I would be conflicted because I felt happy for them, but really sad too. I needed someone to enter the mess of my life and give me a chance at a future. Then one day, my my prayers were answered. A man who had heard about me from a friend took up the challenge to raise me and call me his own even though he was single himself. I was 12 years old. 
My dad was the good Samaritan who gave me a second chance on life. I was shown a different way, and for the first time, I started attending church. I was fed, clothed, and for the first time, I felt loved. The Samaritan entered the neighbor's mess and got dirty. Let's pray for empathy and wisdom to enter the neighbor's mess. Lord God, you came to give honor to the least, those forgotten, overlooked, and misjudged. You came to give first place to the last, those left behind, misunderstood, and undervalued. You came to give a warm welcome to the lost, those who are orphaned, abandoned, and destitute. Help us to be your ears to listen to their cries. Help us to be your voice speaking out love and acceptance. Help us to be your feet walking beside those in need. Help us to be your hands to clothe, feed, and shelter them. You came for the least, the last, and the lost of this world, Lord. Hear our prayers. Amen. you join with me in thanking everyone who shared their stories today? Thank you all. It was a courageous thing. You know, as we look at the idea of connecting with strangers and hospitality and that that action of friendship moves them from a stranger to a neighbor, kind of seen that that can happen anytime with anyone, anywhere. If you think about it, that can be a little bit overwhelming, can't it? Like, then how do I engage this thing? So I'd like to invite a friend to come down. Eric Cummings is the executive director of Community One. It's one of our partnering organizations that does amazing work uh, in the city. And I'll let Eric tell you a little bit more about Community One, but this platform that they have of Neighbors Helping Neighbors uh, is an amazing opportunity to connect a need with someone to simply meet a need in a very practical way. Would you share more about this? Thanks, Pastor John. And uh, again, thanks for these great testimonies and stories that have been shared here today. Friends, these aren't professionals. These are brothers and sisters in Christ that are just following um, God's love and, and loving their neighbors as well. So I appreciate those courageous stories you shared today. And, and thanks to our church family, thanks to our leadership for camping in this, this scripture for a while. This is a place we need to learn. This is a place we need to spend time. And uh, when you think about this, this scripture, this is Q&A with Jesus directly. This is pretty amazing stuff. This guy comes and says, hey, what do I got to do? What's, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, love God and love your neighbor. And that's the full measure of our faith. It's number one and number two. 
He says, well, how do I do that? He asks the question, we're all thinking, how do I do that? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't answer the question. He tells a story. And he does that. He tells a story because he's speaking into the ages. He's speaking to us here in this moment, not just the person in that crowd. And, the, and what's in that story, as you've heard from these testimonies today, can lead and guide us into our mission as God's people. And Jesus would not have us be distracted by things like donkeys and denarii and traveling by foot and all these things that you hear. He would have us hear the truth of what he's teaching. And it's very simple. Like the Samaritan, he saw the need. It was in his mind. He saw it. He identified it. And he was moved by compassion, it says. It moved to his heart. And then in verse 34, it says, and he went to the man. He went to the man. He went to the man. It's the heart of being sent people, being God's people on God's mission, being sent to people. And that's the common thread that you see in all of these stories as well. People saw, and it moved them with compassion, and they went to the people. But let's be perfectly honest. The going is the part that gets a little difficult. Sometimes we don't know where to start. You know, I really want to love my neighbors. I really want to understand this, but I don't know what to do. And that's where the work that we're doing at Community One comes alongside to help with that. You sent me and Community One out 10 years ago into this community to find ways to help the people of God discover and get on the mission of God by loving their neighbors. That's our tagline, love your neighbor. And we've been built, busy doing that, building platforms and programs and engaging and mobilizing and activating and bringing people together with their neighbors all throughout the community to live out this calling to love their neighbor. And one way I would like to just share with you today, one very practical, simple way that you can get started is to participate in our Neighbors Helping Neighbors. I know it's very strange, hard to understand that. Neighbors Helping Neighbors program. It's, a, it's, an, it's an online website, web-based program. You can go up there. We have dozens of projects waiting. And these are from our neighbors in the community have said, would you please help me? Would you please help me? There are neighbors who are asking for our help. So that work is already done. All we have to do now is connect to those people and love them as Jesus has taught us. So you can register as a volunteer, go through a simple screening process because that's important to protect our neighbors. And then you can adopt projects. These are very simple projects that are doable by individuals or families or groups. But this has been, this has been put together and launched so that you and all of us can very, very easily connect to the people who need us in our neighborhood Approach them, go to them, serve them very tangibly, and then see where God takes the conversation to engage with them, to love them, to speak to them, to listen to them, to pray for them. It's out there. It's there and available today. Dozens of projects are currently waiting, and we just launched this version of it last year, and it'll continue to grow. And we just encourage you to get registered at communityone.org, love a neighbor now. And I'm going to close with a video that will help you see more about that. And after services, I'll be right back out here in the back by the Live and Love Like Jesus sign if you'd like some more information. Thanks. Thanks, Pastor. Everyone, at one point or another, needs a helping hand from a caring neighbor. And sometimes we can be that caring neighbor to someone else who needs help. But it's estimated that only one in four Americans know most of their neighbors. And if you don't know your neighbors, who can you turn to in a time of need? Your neighbors are turning to you for help right now. Neighbors Helping Neighbors connects and empowers each of us to love our neighbors 
by helping with simple projects in their homes and lives. Whether it's mowing a lawn, helping someone move, or installing a handrail, a helping hand from a loving neighbor can show people that they're cared for and not alone. These simple but impactful acts of love are more than just physical projects. They're invitations into the lives and homes of real people, of your neighbors. And Evansville needs a movement of love in both words and actions. You can help build a community where neighbors know each other by name and care for one another. You can meet your neighbors where they are and connect to them in a meaningful way. You can show someone that they're cared for by providing a helping hand and sharing an encouraging word. You can build a movement of love in our city. Register as a Neighbors Helping Neighbors volunteer at communityone.org slash love a neighbor now and start putting your love into action today. So moving from a stranger to a neighbor through loving like a friend, it seems like such an intuitive thing to do, right? But how we approach that neighboring really matters, doesn't it? Because if we do that from an attitude of superiority, then we're becoming the Savior instead of Jesus. You know, this word is interesting, this philo-xenos thing, because philo is the word for friendship love. It's the word that you picture come alongside, lock arms with as equals. It could have been other words out there because there's four different Greek words for love. It could have been uh, the, the compassion love or even the unconditional love like Jesus shared. But for hospitality, it's the friendship. And I think that's because when we go and when we make, when we, we make strangers into neighbors, the only way to do that is to lock arms, to be friends as equals, not to be above or below. So when we go, we're going to leave here in just a second with the go and do likewise version of this passage. Let's do so with a thought process of making sure that we're not coming up here or down here, but we're right alongside with whomever we love.